Welcome to the London Photo Festival podcast series. Today we're joined by Beth Taubner, founder of Mercury Lab. Beth is a transformational brand strategist and creative director who has worked with a number of companies, including the AOP, the Photography Show, Palm Springs Photo Festival, as well as individual photographer clients. Over the next six episodes, we'll be talking about the art and business of you, a guide to defining your brand, creating your tools and succeeding in your photography career in today's world. Each week, we will discuss a different topic, providing you with the building blocks to help you navigate your way through the current changing landscape. Welcome to the London Photo Festival podcast series. We are joined again by Beth Taubner, founder of Mercury Lab of London and New York. In today's fifth episode of the Art and Business of You, we will be discussing marketing. Welcome back, Beth. Hello, nice to see you again and be with you again to talk about the marketing you. I think today is going to be a, an interesting day for the audience because we're going to really drill into some of the details about marketing. And it's such an emotional subject for people, for all, everyone who has, you know, who's an artist who needs to promote themselves. So I'd like to start by giving a little recap about attributes and capabilities because it's good for us to always set up what we're doing in any part of our business or any part of our artistic work by going back and getting rooted again in the capabilities and attributes. So a capability is what we would say in the branding business is the make or do, it's the fact. I am a still life photographer. I am a fashion photographer who also shoots narrative, short narrative films. Those are facts. The attributes are the feeling part, it's the how. And so it's always married together. So maybe I'm a still life photographer and my work is very romantic and transporting and uh, very, very precise. You start to get a picture of, of who that person is, not just the fact, it's evocative. And it gives you the, the grounding to make decisions about everything in your work. So we talked, uh, each episode we've been talking about discovering your own attributes. And this goes back to the exercise that I gave our audience in episode one. And that was a writing exercise to really write about what I say, the good, the bad, and the ugly, but where you can really pull out not only stuff about yourself and your own personality, but you need to look at your family background because that's really where the juice is. That's where the, the jet fuel is that's going to propel your brand forward. And then you're of course need to look at your work analytically and try to understand what the patterns are in the way that you conceive, shoot and edit your work. So one thing that I want the audience to be able to do is to look at their work analytically rather than emotionally. Because sometimes when I'm working with my own clients, they'll say, oh, I hated that shoot. And I'm like, why did you hate that shoot? Look at the output. It's very much in alignment with your attributes and it's extremely beautiful. And they say, well, the client was just very difficult and I didn't enjoy my time on set. So I'm not gonna consider that shoot as part of my website. So this is not good for the artist. The artist needs something that 
is a touchstone that's analytical where they say, okay, this is really how I run my business. And that's a functional attribute, a rational attribute. And then this is what my creative work is about. Boom. And then you use that as the judge for all of your decisions. Now, lastly, I want you, all of you, or as I would say in America, you guys. You all. Guys, what's that? You, you all. Well, y'all. Y'all. Yeah, that counts out. But you guys is you, me from New York. We want you to continue to work on brand analysis. So we talked about that in the beginning, to look analytically at other brands. Because if you're marketing and you understand your own attributes and what your work is about, and you can analytically look at the market, then you have an understanding of who you can approach. So what we've been working on, we've been working progressively through the series to bring you to the point where we can talk about the marketing you. Because keep in mind, we're talking about the business and art of, of being a photographer. Yeah. Okay. So now that you've identified your attributes and you've edited the images for your website and portfolio, you're ready to market. One thing I always talk about with my clients is the concept of integrated marketing. So integrated marketing means that you don't rely on one channel to market your work. No matter what you're marketing, if you have a guitar company or if you're, you know, have a small cafe or if you're an artist, fine art or commercial artist, you have to develop a variety of tools that you're going to use to communicate and promote your business because the audience and the buyers are motivated in different ways and you cannot control or even anticipate who in your audience is going to use one form of communication to respond to over another. And, and, and I remember when people started to do a lot of digital marketing, this just tells you how old I am, <laughs> that the audience thought that there was a split in terms of demographically, that the older buyers or the older photo editors would not be open to the digital world. Now, it turns out that that's not true. It's more about how each of us is wired. And some of us, like me, I'm very tactile. I like physical things. You know, when I edit, I edit the way that I was trained when I was working at Condé Nast. I, I edit physically mm. and I do a board, just like I, I used to do. And I teach my artists to edit like that because you have more control over what you're looking at. So if you were promoting to me, and, and I received a beautiful direct mail piece, I would be really excited and you know, I'd, I'd keep it. I'm gonna make this point now, but remind me to make it again later. Okay. Statistically, people in the UK are extremely motivated by direct mail. There's a much higher percentage return rate than there is in the US. Okay. So this is just a very interesting, this is a fact that I can cite because my best friend was doing, who lives in the States, she was hired by a company where she was doing a huge amount of direct mail in the UK and she could not believe the return 
on the direct mail. It was something like 15 or 20% engagement. Whereas in the States, if you get between three, 3%, you feel lucky. Interesting, right? Wow. So I want you to remember, because I've jumped ahead, um, that you can't only use one marketing channel. I call that cherry picking. Mm -hmm. You know, I like this cherry over that cherry. But you have to look at the whole picture of who your audience is and who you are and what's right for you. Mm. So there's, you know, marketing can, can be quite time consuming and I think there's often a pressure to market to absolutely everybody. And I was wondering, how does one get started to work out who to market to? Yes, and what to do. It's yeah. not just who. No. We've already talked a bit about the who because we have been doing our brand analysis. Yeah, yeah. So that has given us more power in understanding the marketplace. And that's why I ask people to do it every day for three months, because it has to become kind of engraved in the way that you're looking at the world. Yeah. Like when I go to Liberty and I go to the area that they have um, where they're launching new brands, I'm always so interested in why they made those choices, how they're in alignment with Liberty, what does the packaging look like, so on, so on, so on. I'm analyzing the whole continuum of the brand when I'm doing that. Going back to you know, what we're talking about today and how to get started, one thing I know from you and I speaking and getting ready to do this episode is that you're very emotional about, about marketing. And I find this is fairly normal in the photographers and filmmakers and fine artists that I speak to when I do public speaking or who I'm working with. There's either the psychological injunctions that we get from childhood where we're told, don't brag, don't talk about yourself, Mm -hmm. don't push yourself forward, don't act as if you think you're better than other people, no, no, no. So these are called injunctions and we internalize them. And so if you're internalizing that voice that you've had from the time you were a child, how are you going to break through that? Because you're told that if you're going to be the right kind of person, you're not going to to brag. And particularly I have found in the UK, there's such a diffidence, you know, like, a deflection when if you give someone a compliment and you say, well, you're really great at that. And they say, oh, no, 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 no. You know, it's, so that's one thing to pay attention to, these injunctions, mm-hmm. right? Because they are historical and something historical, psychologically has a huge amount of power. So when you hear that voice saying, no, 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 you have to step back and say, right. That's not what's happening now. That's what was happening in the past. Now, another aspect of this that I found is that artists are often quite introverted and they have a hard time pushing themselves forward. So I think, you know, we'll talk about that and kind of how someone with that personality might move forward. So I have to make a note to come back to that. <laughs> um, 
And then the other thing that we've been talking about while we were preparing is that you said it's boring. Yeah. And you said it's a full-time job. And I said, in response to that, there's a lot of anxiety about getting it right. So you might remember I talked about the person a couple of episodes ago who I was working with who every time she would talk to other people and they would say, well, you should do this and you should do that and you should do this and you should do that. So she couldn't do anything. Mm -hmm. And what we understood, what we came to understand is she could only do one thing at a time. And so she, and I would describe her as being quite introverted, but she could, if she understood the thing to do, she accomplished it absolutely perfectly. So maybe what has to happen when you're looking at this aspect of your business is that first of all, rather than thinking at it, about it as marketing, you think about it as communicating. In my own business, we don't call it marketing. We say we're doing communications. Yeah, comms, yeah. Yeah, comms. <laughs> I actually use the whole word. But, um, <laughs> communicating feels better. Yes, right? it does. It feels like communication feels a bit lighter. It doesn't feel so weighty in terms of how we have to come into the world, although we're going into the marketplace no matter yeah. what we're doing. Well, and also you don't feel like you have to be an expert, do you? I was it's where you use the word marketing. Perhaps there's that connotation of having to be an expert in it. Also then, I feel there's a kind of a perception that marketing is superficial, yeah. whereas communications feels very real to us because we have to communicate. We are communicating. We're communicating through the work that we do, the yeah. images we create. Another thing that might help you in getting through the resistance to doing it is also see that it's relationship building. And that is what you're doing. Right? You want to be in relationship with either uh, people who are going to exhibit your work or people who are going to hire you for a project. So again, if you think of it like that, it feels more normal. Yeah. It, you're taking some of the anxiety out of it by saying, right, you know, I'd like to get to know that person or I'd like to get to know that business. You know, and then when you meet people, also, you don't feel like you need to do a hard sell, which doesn't work anyway. It's yeah. not appropriate for the business that we're in. I also want to talk, I'm giving you all the different facets that <laughs> are involved in getting through your emotional resistance, and then how to identify who you're going to communicate with. I want you to remember the brand target that you were able to download at mercurylab.com under brand tools for you. So those of you who don't have it, please go ahead and download it because that also shows you in a very graphic way how you use your attributes to communicate to the world out there and then how the world out there finds you. So as part of that, Research is key, and this is something that I work on pretty intensively in my own business, 
and also with my clients. You need to use your brand attributes and the categories that you work in to decide who you should be promoting to and what materials to show. And an important aspect of this is that you always need to be working kind of on two channels. One, which is based on your current audience, right? The people you've been shooting for, the people you have a relationship with already, and then your aspirational audience. And who is the aspirational audience? It must be realistic. You're not gonna go from shooting for laydowns for, you know, a tiny little fashion company where you're going in and shooting their little shirts and dresses to shooting for M&S yeah. or shooting for anthropology. It's, it's very unlikely to happen. So you need to be incremental in the research that you do. This also makes you feel more in control right? Because it's not the whole world out there that you have to quote unquote market to. You need to work in small pieces, particularly at this time in the world, mm -hmm. because people don't, the, on the brand side, people don't have a lot of money to spend. Fees are down. There's much less work. Yeah. And so it's very important that you adjust your expectations in terms, because hardcore marketing is not acceptable at this time. You cannot do cold calling or anything like that. I know that because I have photo agency clients and we talk all the time about how they're approaching the marketplace. So it's all about the relationship. That I'm gonna stress. If you have a relationship, you must be in the relationship and see how you can be of help to these people who are responsible for to communicate for the brands that they work for. And the brands don't know how to communicate right now. It's, it's yeah. a very complicated time emotionally. Yeah. So I want to give you the foundation of what you should be doing. And you can start small. In other words, don't scare yourself by thinking, using this example that I've just given you, you know, I'm, I'm shooting for my local, you know, dress shop, and then all of a sudden, I'm gonna be shooting for anthropology. It could happen, but the odds are very, very low. Now, another thing that I think is important, which I have, I think, mentioned before, is that everything that we're doing is not magic. <laughs> it, it's it's working steadily yeah at everything that you do whether it's your shooting developing your filmmaking skills learning to work better with a team elevating your work working to your aspirational attributes it's piece by piece by piece by piece it does require patience and work. And yeah. Yeah. Yes. But if you think of it as a program that you create for yourself, or if you're working with someone like me or some other person who is a mentor or guide, you're 
you will develop a program just like the woman I talked about. So she's mm -hmm. able to do something every quarter. And that's what we realized. She could do one thing every quarter. So then she accomplished a lot that year. So I want you to think about what we're talking about today as brand awareness. And that is something we all have to do. So our whole discussion over these episodes is the business and the art. If, if you want to be, you know, I, I do like to tell little anecdotes because it kind of tells you something about yeah. my own experiences. So I came from this incredibly creative family of phenomenally creative women. They were painting handicrafts, ceramics, jewelry makers, but they didn't do anything with it. And I remember being nine years old and I announced to my mother that I was not going to sit in the attic and paint plates and hide them up there. Like <laughs> plates. But I said, I have to bring what I do into the world. So I understood that, but you know, just like everyone else, I had to figure out how to do it. Do so, it yeah. so it's about communicating. It's about communicating. Now, another thing that's super important is that you only do two or three initiatives every year. You cannot do 10 things. If you try to do that, you will go and hide under the table. <laughs> it is not possible. It will blow out your nervous system. When you are coming up to whatever you want your year to be, whether it's January 1st to December 31st or April 15th, it doesn't matter, or it starts with your birthday, which is a great time to start. This is a great reset for you for your own personal year. You develop a calendar and then you carve out time to work on your two or three initiatives every week. That's essential. You book the time out to yourself, okay? So you have to treat yourself as a client. And of your two, and two or three things, you don't need to do them simultaneously. You can do them consecutively. So you do one thing, and maybe that takes you three months, which is fine, of X amount of time per week. Certainly no less than two hours. Well, hopefully you can put four hours in. In four hours, you would accomplish quite a lot every week. Like, that's how I look at my month. I say, okay. well, I've accomplished this month because I spend a total of, I'm spending more than 16 hours, but maybe I'm spending 32 hours a month on building brand awareness and that my clients are doing that. That's very, very powerful. Mm -hmm. And it's not frightening to do it that way. No, it's not. When you start to break it down like that, it seems very manageable. Because if you were in a person who is playing tennis, <laughs> and on your calendar, you say, oh, I'm going to play doubles on Monday for an hour and a half. And then I'm going to play with my favorite partner for uh, two and a half hours on Friday. It's no different than that. It's a conditioning in a sense. So it can really help you because we all do that very naturally. We say, well, Saturday morning, I'm going to take the dog for a walk for four hours in Richmond Park. Mm -hmm. with my best friend or I'm going to meet up with other dog walkers, or you're going to go like, I went a few times to the Pomeranian meetup in Hyde Park, <laughs> which is madness because all you see is them running away from you and you can't tell one little palm from the other because they don't have those fluffy tails. Yeah. That's great. Now, the other thing that I want you to do is to create a marketing budget. 
Okay, so nobody wants to do this. It doesn't matter how small it is. Let's say you're putting 75 pounds a month in your marketing budget. I'm making that up. That's not a lot of money. You must dedicate some money so that you, then you have, then it doesn't hurt mm. when you have to do something that costs money. So you're banking, you have a, a marketing banking savings account. That's how I have people do it. I have them literally set up a savings account. Or if you want to put the cash under your mattress, that's fine too. <laughs> so I want you to prioritize. What I suggest is that you can start with your website because the website is your shop front still. There's some buyers or people who are going to go to Instagram first or who love TikTok or something else. But in general, you have to have the foundation of the website and it has to be in alignment with your brand and your skills. Mm -hmm. And that is a big undertaking for all of us. Like I would never say that that's an easy project. It's no. very time consuming. I know for myself, I was trying to read, I was been so busy. I was trying to redo my website for four years. Yeah. And the gift of COVID has been that I was able to redo my website. We're working on the mobile part now, but we have our, we have our shop front up on, and I feel so happy to have gotten it done. It's a huge weight off my shoulders. And I don't think anyone should take that amount of time. I think if you are setting your, your calendar and you're working, let's say, let's say you're working between four and eight hours a week on your website, you will have already edited your images, remember? Yeah. We, we did that a while ago. So really it brings you to the next issues in making a website and I'm going to go through that right now. One thing that I have found is that a lot of photographers are afraid of graphic design. It's two different vocabularies. There's the language of design and then there's the language of photography. Mm -hmm. um, they frequently say to me that they don't know how to communicate with the graphic designer and then the graphic designer does something that doesn't make sense to them. Or when I was first got into the industry, I found that photographers would only use Helvetica or Copperplate. Yeah. That was it, as if there were, as if there were not hundreds of years of type design. Yeah, quite, or aerial. <laughs> or, yes, frightening <laughs> enough, a system font. Um, so, it's very, very important that you find a graphic designer who shares your attributes. Now, I'm not going to pretend that this is easy. No. And frequently on a project that I work on, I, I hire the graphic designer or I pick the graphic designer and I'm involved in supervising the graphic designer, but we always try to get someone who's a branding designer. Because in graphic design, just like in photography, there's different categories of designers. So you want to try to find someone who is a branding designer. And even if you have a micro amount of money, you can find there are so many great design schools and you yeah. will be able to find someone who's a good thinker. So the graphic designer 
is first going to work with you on a logo type or a logo. Now, I, I know that we talked about this before, but I'm going to remind you that it's called an identity. And the reason that it is called an identity is because it's the design methodology for encapsulating your category and your attributes. That is what design does. So if you think of it like that, it is less scary. Yeah. Another tool in your toolbox for communicating who you are. How great is that? Yeah. I mean, you could use Pinterest, couldn't you? And create a board of kind of colors and typefaces you like and design and get that all together. And yes. And use that. Yes. Not that you like that expresses your brand. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. Yes. But that's critical because you have, you really have to be going forward in the language of your brand. And when I speak, I speak and say it's either on brand or off brand. That's how brand strategists look at it. Yeah. So you want it to be on brand because if not, if you're going into the place that you like, you're always going to be in your default attribute. You're not going to stretch into the other attributes. Yeah. So you find the designer. Again, your design doesn't need to be literal. I remember when people used to put a camera in, into their logos, which was so frightening, or there would be, if they had an O in their name, there would be a lens. So try not to do that. That, yeah. that is, unless you're doing it um, sardonically, it's definitely not the place to go. Yeah. Now this logo, sometimes it's nice to have a logo so that you have a symbol that can apply. Maybe, you know, you're gonna be giving out t-shirts you're going to be handing out some kind of promotional material because you're going to a big photo convention or something eventually when we're allowed to do that again. But you're going to be applying it to all of your communications materials. And so I agree with you, the Pinterest board is great and it is a great way to look at color. Mm. So these are cues for how to apply to the different materials that you're going to be creating. Now keep in mind, even if you feel that you don't need a full design system, you need a business card no matter what. Yeah. You're going to meet people in all kinds of situations who are going to ask for your card. And many people, again, like me, even though I put the people that I meet into my, um, uh, my database, I like keeping their cards because I'm so visual that they resonate for me and they help me remember the person very, very specifically. So you need to really think about what that business card should look and feel like. You might need a stationary system because maybe you need that for billing. Maybe you want that for writing notes to people. Yeah. Eventually you're going to be doing print marketing. So maybe, or print promotion or print communications. This is something that you're unlikely to be able to do this year because so many commissioning people are working at home. But I believe, particularly in the UK, that print promos will come back. Yeah. Because there's been a, a trend moving back towards wanting print promotion over the past four or five years. Certainly, I hear that when I'm on panels or I like to go and hear other panels in the US. Again, because there's such an inundation 
of digital material that I will say you can do it because it's integrated. It's going back to what we talked about before. So I think in this coming year, it's going to be important to get the website right and then some other kind of digital communications. So we'll talk about that. But remember that print is still alive. So digital promos might be email blasts. And maybe you're doing that in conjunction with getting your social media right. So if you're going to do a digital promo, you have to have your designer develop a template for you. Mm -hmm. So let's say that's something you're going to use in MailChimp. It has to refer back to the language of design that's communicating who you are. So the wonderful thing is that you work in tandem with another person. I, I think that that's a really important part of building your team is that you have a design person or a creative director who is going to help you with this part of, yep. of your project. Okay, then let's talk about the portfolio, the print portfolio for a minute, because I've done so many portfolio reviews where people say, well, I don't need a portfolio anymore, or I just threw it together at the last minute because I was coming to the Palm Springs Photo Festival, <laughs> where you know, people come from all over the world to get um, reviewed. I would encourage you to have at least one print portfolio because that is a way that you can really communicate and have control over the story you want to tell through your imagery and design. So the physical portfolio exists at many, many different price points and you need to research to figure out what is going to be acceptable and right in your category. You know, you, you can have a box of prints if you're a fine art, you know, very, very beautiful. What size are they going to be? What's the packaging going to look like? Are you going to have a, a perfect bound book that you get printed by, you know, um, kind of, there's so many different levels of bound print books that you can get. You, know, you really need to look at samples. Or are you going to do something where you print everything by hand or you're going to send it out? Like some of my clients here, we found a great digital printer in New York. And so we do change the pages, not all the time because mm -hmm. it's, a brand, it's a brand edit. It's not, it's not a reactive edit. It's an edit that's proactive edit that communicates the brand. And so in that case, sometimes we're printing through we just do a cover and a spine and then we put things in so that we can change them. But I also love bound books. Yeah. This the thing about the print portfolio is that art directors love print portfolios. They still love them. And if you are with an agency, a good agency, they're not, they don't have five or six portfolios for you the way they used to, but, because they go to places like Le Book, again, not this year, but some form of Le Book connections will come back. The buyers and the art directors want to see what I call an object of desire. It has got to be beautiful. You cannot compromise on that. So you may not need to do that this year. This year, you're going to focus on your website. Yeah. It is something that you can research and think about. Yeah, start thinking about it now. So the website is not just about your photos, right? It's about the design 
the navigation, the menu, all of that is your brand expression. So again, you need to do research about this because you need to think about what you want the user experience to be. And what is the story that you want to tell about who you are and what you do? I, I personally feel that websites are not easy and people's frustration with websites is very real because even if you're working with um, like a site that has templated offerings, it's always buggy. Yeah. Always. And it's very, very frustrating for the artist because even if you're working with a designer, the designer is not going to populate your site. That is not a good way to spend your money. No. You're not going to be there. They're going to say, well, this is where your logo should be and this is what the spacing should be in your menu. And then you're going to get there and pull your hair out over the course of five or six days to try to get it looking like the thing that the designer has proposed to you. So that's very real. And um, I have to wish you all good luck with that. Uh, <laughs> it's something we're going through at the moment, actually. We're, we're wanting to redesign our websites for the gallery and uh, also the festival. And uh, yeah, it's, it is frustrating. It is frustrating. And, you know, you have to, if you're getting a templated site, you need to work with a company that's responsive to your questions. Yeah, exactly. Yes, quite. So... Another aspect of your website is what is the story you want to tell about who you are and what you do and figure out the relationship between stills, motion, and self-generated projects. And I'm going to say here right now, there is not just one answer. There is the answer that is right for you and your brand. So when I'm you know, speaking at a live event and I'm always talking about the brand and then someone always raises their hand and says, but what size should my portfolio be? Or how exactly should I do stills in motion? And I can't answer that question unless I'm, you know, in a relationship with you mm. or I'm really spending time reviewing you at, you know, a portfolio review. So, so again, I'm, what I'm saying is that these are things you have to considerate, consider very carefully in light of what your brand is. Remember to put a good bio and a photo of yourself because the buyer wants to see who you are. Yeah. They're like thinking, mm, do I want to spend time with that person? What's their vibe? It's very, very significant. Okay, now social media. I want you to remember, this is the key thing that I'm going to say to you today about social media. Instagram is not just for posting, it's brand expression. It's a tool for brand expression. You have to figure out how to write about your brand. So again, I feel like I'm not gonna lie to you and say that that's easy. Yeah. So the more that you understand your brand, like I train even my big clients to do this. We do workshops on it. Yeah. it, it you're not necessarily a writer if you're a visual person and because you tend to use it as a posting mechanism rather than an emotional brand communication tool, you know, it doesn't, then it doesn't work very well. But remember that you have to think a lot analytically going back to your research about who you want to follow. And then there's all these other Instagram um, 
sorry, all these other social media outlets. And I do want the artists to think about LinkedIn because that's where you can really target who you want to be in communication with. So don't just think that everything is about Instagram. Instagram is great as a visual tool and a brand tool, but LinkedIn is great for more tangible connections. Yeah. Yeah, it's an often overlooked platform really, isn't it? No, you know, I've been on LinkedIn for years and I'm in the top 10% of people who are connected on LinkedIn and it has been great it's something that i've used a lot over the yeah years. no i've definitely used it uh, more and more actually in over the last sort of six months or so it's great so i want to briefly talk about um book publishing and not to be afraid of that uh, when i was younger i worked um i did a lot of book packaging and i worked with a lot on the visual side of um, book publishing as a different projects and stuff. So I do think that there's still a kind of very old fashioned connected connection that people have to the printed book, to the published book. And because you can self publish, and you can do that with Amazon and print one book, book at a time. Yep. Uh, that's a, an easy way to do it. Also, you can be part of um, books that are more, uh, what is the word like now, that are not like a monograph, but that feature that are on a topic. Like I did a talk at the Irish, Irish uh, Artisan Food Show last year. And one thing that I talked about was uh, book publishers who work um, in different parts of the UK and Ireland, and they do cookbooks, like they'll do the Dorset cookbook and the Essex cookbook. Yeah. Those are good opportunities, for example, to be published as part of a compendium of something that someone else is doing. I, I feel like this is a topic on, yeah, its, own. on its own, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and why, you know, cookbooks are still selling. Cookbooks are selling really, really well during this COVID situation because people are cooking so much the food business is one of the only businesses that's doing well yeah that's right i mean aspects of it are in trouble because you know there's no del delivery mechanism or audience you know on a more institutional or uh, you know this the suppliers don't have the people to supply and some yeah well, the, the retail side obviously are not doing too well exactly. So that's one thing. And then the other thing I wanted to mention, not in passing, because this is a big conversation, are podcasts. And statistically, podcasts are doing unbelievably well. In the, since 2017, there's been a 40% increase in podcast listeners. That's incredible. It is amazing. So they tend to listen 6.5 hours weekly and to seven shows weekly and i can say of course during covid that's probably double yes i mean we so, certainly noticed a, an increase in the, the the listenership if that's the right word for our podcast yes and that's not going to go away that's good i don't think that people will be at the numbers that they are now where they might be listening because people are consuming media at a 
unbelievable rate at this time. Um, I was speaking with one of my uh, photographers, she's like a photographer, art director, filmmaker, and she said, because she lives alone with her dog, she is binging TV and she's never done that before in her yeah. life. And so people are doing that with podcasts as well. So that is something to think about. And then I think we can talk for a minute here about competitions and submitting to competition annuals like Murphy's and Communication Arts or places like Photoville or Biennales. You know, this is something that you can continue to do because they, if they're not going to happen physically, they're going to happen online. And, and communications art annuals are still the best of the best, and they are still going to be published, and art directors and art buyers are still going to be looking at them. And this is something you can really speak to, Emma. Yeah, actually, I mean, that's right. We, we run a free monthly competition, actually, in, um, I think, April was probably our highest number of entries we've had, and that's obviously because people had time to sit down and edit their work and have a look at their work and enter competitions because of uh, the pandemic. Um, and then also we have paid competitions which we run during the year as well. But yeah, I think, I mean, I think they're a great way of getting sort of feedback on your work. Um, I think they also kind of boost your confidence as well. We've had quite a lot of really positive feedback from photographers to say, you know, thank you very much. I, I've never entered a competition before I've entered yours. And you, you know, I was selected and it's, it's made me really think about my photography and about what else I can do. So I think, I think they have a place for sure. I think that's fabulous. And also to have your work shown if you're in the fine art arena and you are able to enter a competition and have your work shown. Look at the AOP awards have been so powerful. Yeah, absolutely. Over the years. And there's many, many categories that you can enter in. And I, I encourage you to do that because what is that? That is marketing. If we're going to say the word, that yeah. is <laughs> that you're communicating your point of view and, and people come to the AOP awards for years. They've been at the Truman Brewery and, and they think about it. And when they used to publish the AOP annual, which was the book of all of the awards, which I remember getting and keeping. It's, yeah. It was like a beautiful art book. So we've talked about really a lot of aspects of communicating your brand today. You know, I, we've really talked again about capabilities and attributes. We've talked about integrated marketing using multiple channels, how to get started, how to break through your emotional blocks about it, working with the calendar, developing or diary, as we would say in, in the UK. Yeah. Um, putting some money away on a monthly basis so that you have a budget, so you accomplish things incrementally. Uh, you are going to be working with a graphic designer or a branding designer who shares your attributes, um, digital promos, really thinking about your portfolio packaging and working on your website first and then, which may take six months and that's okay. Yeah. And, and 
then what is the other initiative that you're going to want to do? Is it going to be really getting your Instagram in shape? Is it going to be starting to do some kind of regular quarterly or three times a year digital promotion? Think about that. Think about what you can handle. But I know that you can handle two things a year. Yes, at least. I know that the audience can do it. And, and don't engage with the shoulds because what's right for someone else may not be right for you. You have mm -hmm. to do what you are capable of. And I trust that everyone in the audience is capable of taking an action to further their relationship with their audiences because they don't want to be painting plates in the attic. <laughs> no, that's right. Hear their, their point of view. That's why painters painted, you know, and sculptors sculpted. And that's yeah. why we go to the VNA or we're going to the National Gallery because we want to engage with people's point of view. So you have to be able to get the work out there. Yeah. And I mean, you also have to kind of bear in mind, I think that also that it, it does take a bit of time. I mean, there's a traditional time period, isn't there, for a marketing sort of cycle? Well, the traditional marketing cycle is 18 months. And I was looking this morning to see if there was any statistics on um, if the cycle was different. Yeah. Because I'm sure that it has been affected by Instagram. Because some people, you know, launch different initiatives on Instagram, but their other tools are in shape. So let's say you're Mark Jacobs and have a friend who's shot these initiatives um, for him. And something is like a weekend launch where they're, you know, blasting their Instagram account. You can then go to the website and you can buy the thing, or you can go to a Mark Jacobs store and you can buy that. It's, it's yeah. not only existing in one platform. So, but I will say, let's say you're launching a new division in your business. That is going to take time. And I have had clients say to me, nine months in, they are freaking out and they're thinking, gosh, nobody knows who we are. And then they remember that, I'm, that nine months in, I say, well, you know, you're part of the way there. Yeah. You're not going to be all the way there. Let's say you're someone who signs with an agent, which would be a phenomenal thing at this time because many agencies are closing. So let's say that, you, that someone has faith in you and they feel that they can sell you. You know, after three months, you can't be frustrated because they need to do a lot of relationship building on your behalf. Or sometimes what happens, you get the first big job and then nothing happens for another nine months. Yeah. All of this is real. So I guess this is an important point, is to not get frustrated. Keep at it. You have to keep at it every week. I really can't stress that enough. You must honor on a regular basis who you are and that you want your work to be seen in the world. Because yeah. if not, it's, it's, it's not magic. You have to really work at it. And I think you have to have a team. And we have been talking about this you know, we talked about that in the motion piece. Yes. If you're all alone and working on this, I do think it can feel a bit overwhelming. Yeah. So you need to build a team around you and, and you can do that. Yeah. Because everybody else, 
like the designer wants to show a beautiful site that they've designed or a beautiful logo that yes, they've designed. Yes, of course. Yeah. And the portfolio fabricator or the book publisher wants something that looks beautiful so that they can show other people how beautiful their printing is and how great their binding is or whatever that might be. Yeah. And so, now is a perfect time, really, isn't it, to use to, to, to do the research whilst, yes. you, whilst you've got the time. For your, for your suppliers, but also you should be working on researching your market all the time. Yeah. Very critical. And that you do it surgically. That's what my clients say, that, I, that my company does it forensically. So if you are forensic in your research, when you start your communications, you're going to hit the target. I do want to say that we're putting another handout up on this topic on um, our website. So that's mercurylab.com and go to brand tools for you. And so now there are two handouts up there for the audience. And um, Emma will remind you of that. On, yes. um, and we'll remind you of that on our Instagram feed and it will also be on the London Photo Festival feed. So it's been great to speak with you today and next time. Yes, yeah, so this is our penultimate uh, podcast, isn't it? <laughs> on this subject, but what's so exciting is that in a little while, we're going to be doing another series of talks with women photographers and Emma and I are so excited about that. It's great. We have uh, women coming from different areas of the business and different countries. So it's, so I hope that We'll let you know when we're when we're up. Yeah, we've got a, we've got a brilliant lineup, haven't we? So we'll uh, as soon as we have all the information, then we'll be able to communicate that. But before we do that, yes, we will be communicating. Before we do that, um, Emma will talk to you a little bit about this. Please send your work in. We still have a little bit of time. Yeah, that's right. So episode six is going to be our two reviews, isn't it? What we're going to be doing, and um, I will post everything up online for everybody to to uh, send in their work for us to have a look at. Great. Thank you so much again. It was absolutely brilliant talking to you and certainly some, um, some food for thought. So thanks, Beth. It's been a pleasure. So see you all soon, or you'll, you'll be listening soon. Listening soon, thanks. <laughs> Bye. Bye. This was a conversation with Beth Taubner about the fundamentals of brand meaning and creation for photographers and creatives setting the stage for our podcast series to come on developing the tools to come to market with power, authenticity and success.